Tuesday, October 13th, 2020. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, it's been a rough few months for the U.S. Census. The national headcount has been extended, shortened, and is at the center of a number of legal fights. The census is a snapshot of what is going on in the country, and I think a lot of people are going to look back and and ask what exactly was going on here. Roxanne Scott, who covers the census for WABE, joins me to discuss how the pandemic has complicated the national headcount and what it could mean for Georgia. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. It's been a tumultuous few months for the U.S. Census. The coronavirus pandemic has sparked a legal fight over just how long the national headcount should last, That has pushed the final deadline back and forth on the calendar. That as workers went door to door encouraging people to fill out the survey, all while Georgia's response rate to the census lags behind the rest of the country. Roxanne Scott has been covering all of this for WABE, and she joins me now to discuss. Roxanne, thanks for talking with me. Thanks for having me, Sam. So like so many other things, the COVID-19 pandemic has really thrown the census into disarray. And the really big question that people have been thinking about in the last few months is, when should the counting stop? So just start there. What was the original deadline for the census to end? And how and why has the pandemic changed that? So pre-pandemic, the deadline for counting people was the end of July, July 31st. And of course, when the pandemic hit, the census announced that it was going to have to pause operations. And so when it decided that it was going to start up field operations again, they extended the deadline until October 31st. And they also wanted to ask Congress for relief to extend delivering those apportionment numbers. Those numbers are used to decide how many seats a state gets in the U.S. House of Representatives. And so they wanted to extend that deadline into 2021. So the original deadline was July 31st, pre-pandemic. And then that even extension of October 31st to stop counting and then well into next year to do the apportionment, that then changed. Uh, yeah. So it was like, okay, we're going to do October 31st. We're doing this. We're doing this now. And then the census over the summer abruptly said that 
they were actually going to stop counting the end of September. So trimming the count a month short. And I mean, mind you, they paused operations during the pandemic. So now they paused operations and then they trimmed the deadline short to September 30th. That's something I imagine gave people some pause. Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, even before the pandemic, advocates, researchers were saying that uh, undercount is inevitable. This is something that happens every census. It affects people of color. It affects the counting of young children or children under five. It affects immigrants. And so advocates and researchers were ringing the bells long before the pandemic that this is going to be an undercount. And Georgia was one of the states that some researchers were looking at saying that this is going to be a state that's going to really be undercounted. And so when census operations paused and then it's like, oh, by the way, we're going to end this um, a month short. There was a lot of concern from civil rights organizations, from elected officials, from all around, really. And that concern manifested eventually in a legal fight that's still ongoing. Tell us a little bit about that. (laughs) There's a few legal fights, but I'm going to focus on one. So basically, a coalition led by the National Urban League filed a lawsuit against the Census Bureau because of this shortened timeline, saying that this shortened timeline was affecting the political power of people of color. Of course, we know that the census not only determines funding for states and local governments, it determines how local voting districts are drawn um, or redistricting, and it determines, again, how many seats your state gets in the House of Representatives. So if your state is undercounted, it can affect how many seats your state gets in, in, in Congress. There's this one legal fight about kind of how long the counting lasts. My understanding is that some municipalities here in Metro Atlanta filed a separate lawsuit about something else. Tell us about that. That lawsuit was about the Trump administration wanting to exclude undocumented immigrants from the apportionment counts. And so Common Cause filed that lawsuit and cities and other groups joined that lawsuit, including the city of Atlanta and Clarkston, Georgia. So here we are, Roxanne. We're talking about two weeks after September 30th, what was set to be the end of counting. We've been talking about this legal suit about when that counting should should end. That's a case that's made it all the way to the Supreme Court, right? So where do things stand now? Yeah. So after a court order said that counting should end the end of October, the Trump administration asked the Supreme Court to allow it to stop counting people. And so what everyone's waiting for now who's watching this is the Supreme Court's decision. It could come at any moment. It could come today, tomorrow, this week. We don't know. And so that's kind of where we are now. But for now, counting will continue until October 31st. And the last I checked, you can still also fill out the census online. And one thing I want to clarify here, because you've said this is the counting deadline. I think of the census as a two-part process. Me, an individual, I fill out the form, then someone on the back end does a tally. What are we actually talking about with counting? Are we talking about the filling out of the form, the public-facing side, or are we talking about people actually tallying up the results on the back end? So when we're talking about this October 31st deadline, we're talking about that public-facing part of counting people and 
people filling out the census. And then after that deadline, then the tallying, the double checking, and the delivering those estimates by the end of the year to the president happened. But right now, October 31st, that this kind of public facing, you, you see the census door knockers, you may hear ads of, hey, fill out your census. That deadline, we're talking about that deadline. The counting, this kind of back end tallying, were things going as normal? The census would have, what, about half a year to kind of do this back end tallying. But with this deadline for people to fill out the form being pushed back and back and back, they now have less time to do that work. What are advocates saying about what that could mean for this actual count and its accuracy. Yeah, um, a lot of people have concerns about the integrity of the data. And initially, when the census released its COVID-19 plan, when it paused operations and announced when it was going to restart operations, in that plan, they were also going to ask for relief from Congress to extend that date that those estimates have to be delivered. That's the end of the year, December 31st into 2021. Now, that's not happening right now. The Trump administration wants those estimates delivered by the end of the year. And there are some reasons that people have talked about for that reason, why that may be. A big one really is that we may have a new president next year. And so if those estimates are delivered by the end of the year, President Trump can still Um, have control of how those apportionment numbers are used. And if you go back to what he wanted to do over the summer, he issued a memo saying that he wanted to exclude undocumented immigrants from apportionment numbers. That's that lawsuit that we talked about earlier that then led the city of Atlanta and Clarkston to uh, to join in. Um, And so this is the national picture. My understanding is Georgia hasn't been doing great as a state when it comes to our response rate. This is something that Governor Brian Kemp has actually taken to talking about a lot recently. He's held some specific press conferences encouraging people to fill out the census. So am I right there? I mean, how is Georgia doing and how do we compare to other states when it comes to our response rate? So right now, Georgia's response rate, self-response rate to the census is about 62 percent. Um, it's hovering over that number of like the the low 60s. And compared to other states, uh, there's about a dozen states or so that have lower response rates. That 62 percent lags behind the national rate, which is about 66 percent. And um, in the South, there are other states that have lower self-response rates. That's South Carolina, Mississippi and Louisiana. But Georgia has consistently lagged behind the national average when it comes to self-response rates. And also when door knocking started in August, there were parts of Georgia that just lagged behind the rest of the country, namely middle and southern Georgia. What happens here in Georgia if our response rate doesn't dramatically improve or if there's a, a real big undercount here in the state? Well, you know, yeah, a lot of federal programs base their funding on population. And so if Georgia's undercounted, that may mean that it will get less money for federal programs. That's anything from SNAP, from unemployment insurance, which is a big deal right now, small business loans, um, Pell Grants to go to school, WIC, rental assistance, housing vouchers, Medicaid, Medicare. An undercount can affect how much money the state and local governments get from the federal government as far as funding. The city of Atlanta was able to get $88 million in CARES Act funding to respond to the pandemic. And that's because it had a projected population count of half a million people. So, you know, an undercount can really directly affect how much money a city or a state gets. 
we've kind of traced the ways that the pandemic has really shaken up the way that this very important <laughs> national process has gone. Are there other kind of historical precedents here for how a national crisis like this can affect the census? Because it kind of seems to me with all these problems, like this count we're going to get is going to have a pretty big asterisk next to it. So actually, a hundred years ago, in the 1920 census, there was controversy of those census numbers as well. And it had to do with the political shift, the, the power shift that was going on in the country. In 1920 was the first census to show that um, more Americans actually lived in urban areas versus rural areas. And so that shifted political power from the South. We were seeing more population due to one, immigration in the Northeast and some cities in the Midwest. And we were also seeing a boost in those numbers because of, you know, the black migration was also underway. So this is um, large amounts of people starting to leave the South and go to cities in the Midwest and the North. And um, the Republican Congress at that time really had had to reckon with itself to see this power shift. And so it led to the point where um, the census numbers uh, for apportionment just weren't used. They just kind of threw out the results and then they enacted a an act, the Emergency Immigration Quota Act that that restricted immigration. And they didn't reapportion until a decade later. I mean, 1929, they passed a law to kind of deal with like the 1930 census. Something like the census is, is one of these institutions that people might not give a lot of thought to until it's maybe seen as being under attack. We've seen a lot of that during the Trump administration. Based on your coverage of this, conversations you've had with with individuals, with advocates, with the Census Bureau officials, is this count going to have a big asterisk next to it, do you think? Um, I definitely think so. I think that we're going to look at the pandemic and how it affected the account. Um, I think we're going to look back a few years before when the Trump administration, when President Trump tried to get a citizenship question on that census, many advocates feared that that would depress immigrants from filling out the count. You know, we're going to look at these lawsuits about, you know, the extension of the deadline after the reversal. I definitely think that this is going to be one of these censuses that we are going to look back in time and and ask what was going on in the country at this time. Because we remember the census is a snapshot of what is going on in the country. And I think a lot of people are going to look back and and ask what exactly was going on here. Roxanne Scott covers the U.S. Census for WABE. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at Wash your hands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app, where you can also leave us a rating and a review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. you donated to WAB yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. 
you can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wab.org donate and become a member right now. And thank you.